No, because I can pick my nose and fucking fart and shit. Welcome to the Coach and Kernan Podcast Network. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm your producer, and I'm co-host of Real Voices of the Game. We're excited to welcome She Gone Podcast, its very first episode. I want to welcome our favorite certified hitting guru and your host for the She Gone Podcast, Major League Veteran, Second Baseman, Jeff Fry. Jeff, we're pumped up to have you as part of our network and real excited for your first show. Take it from here, buddy. Thanks, David. I appreciate it. Um... I'm really excited about the first guest. Uh, met this guy a couple years ago because of some stuff on social media through a friend uh, that I met through social media, and it's a great story. And I'd love um, to welcome Mr. John Rocker to the Shegon Podcast. What's up, Rock? Just give myself a round of applause. Not much, buddy. How you doing, man? I'm good, man. I'm good. I uh, guess we saw each other. About a month ago in Cody, Wyoming, and uh, yeah, the great tournament. There, uh, what you been yeah, doing at home? Yeah, that's, that's always a fun trip, man. Um, you know, a little, little disappointed this year. I had a bunch of guys that I know you're uh, your friend. I'm friends with it that, uh, that couldn't make it. You know, Darren Oliver and some of those guys couldn't make it. But uh, yeah, we had a a good uh, a good crew there, and had a uh, another another good fun year uh, raising raising money for was it that uh, was um was it mental health this year? And uh, what was the other charity? Celebrities for a Cause this year. Last year was uh, Celebrities Against Cancer. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it was great. Got a couple new guys coming next year. Somebody that you mentioned, um, Ellis Burks. Yeah, Burks, he did. Better be than Burks, he is. And, and I don't really know Ellis Burks, uh, just except for playing against him. And one of my best friends, uh, Colonel Craig Flowers, and Ellis went to Ranger Junior College together. Oh, really? And they're buddies, and I had him reach out to Ellis. Ellis said he was coming, and next year, Colonel Flowers is coming, and he's also going to be the keynote speaker. Oh, nice. I'm bummed that'd be a good, uh, good event before that already. Um, yeah. Yeah. Ellis, I, I've probably seen Ellis in every bit of 15 years, and I uh, was at Bo Jackson's tournament <clears throat> maybe like six weeks ago, and uh, Ellis was there. So I've got to, to reconnect with him, and uh, you know, just like just like with uh, – most guys you meet in the game at some point in time, you can even not see these folks for 20 years and bump into them wherever, an event, an airport, doesn't matter. And it's, it's literally like you saw them yesterday. And um, it was it was good catch up with Berkshire and got him on the right list for next year. Heck yeah, heck yeah. And and uh, I want to I want to talk about real quick Ryan Brown, uh, the guy who brought us all together from from Cody, Wyoming. And it's really crazy how it all happened that Ryan reached out to me. I'm sure he did the same to you, Rock and about three years ago, and he had sent me an invitation. Said, "Hey, would you be interested in coming to Cody, Wyoming, for the Celebrities Against Cancer charity event? We got all these people coming. Uh, we got a softball game. Uh, the coaches are Kevin Cost, not Kevin Costner, uh, Harrison Ford, Butterbean, and Kanye West. And we're right by Yellowstone. And you know my girlfriend Steph. And I said, Steph, look at this. She goes, Hey, we got to go. We can go to Yellowstone. So we." Jump in the car, drive to Yellowstone, go up there. Don't know Ryan Brown. Don't know anybody, really. Spend a couple days at Yellowstone, then go to the Cody Rodeo. And next thing I know, here comes all these guys I played against. Um, you, Otis Nixon was a teammate of mine. He was there. I got to meet you. I got to meet Denny Nagel, Mike Hampton. Fucking Lenny Bagel. <laughs> yeah, I, knew, I already knew Jeff Nelson. I didn't know Sid Bream. And then all these <laughs> other guys. Main Jones. I have another this year. I have another make it this year. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it was uh, incredible. This dirtiest, dirtiest sinker slider ever. <laughs> no doubt. And, and but today, I want to mention because today, Ryan Brown, the guy who brought us all together, uh, is going to the doctor to uh, schedule a surgery. <clears throat> and I just wanted to keep him uh, in our thoughts because if it wasn't for Ryan Brown, Rock, we would have never met unless we ran into each other somewhere. And I had a lot of uh, probably misconceptions about what kind of guy you were because I just played against you a little bit, and I didn't like you. You were on the other team, and you were the guy. You were, you were a fucking hitter, Jeff. If, if, if you liked me, I was doing something wrong. I don't even fucking ask if there's <laughs> you, to like me. Fuck you. You sprinted in from the bullpen 100 miles an hour, and, and you were mean and nasty and, you know, and intimidating, 
And as a player on another team, you don't like those guys. And, and until you get to meet them, you never know. And so now I've known you for two years. And, and one of the things I want people to know about you, <clears throat> you're not that guy that you, you were on the field, off the field. And we've done two baseball camps together. And, uh, you know, this year especially, I was so impressed by you because Thank you, buddy. we were out there for like five or six hours and it was hot and we got a bunch of little kids running around. And, you know, I was working with the hitters, you were working with the pitchers. And at the end of the camp, we're ready to get out of the heat and go to find the AC. And you spoke up and said, listen, any of you guys that showed up late that didn't get to throw, I want you to come down the bullpen. And you spent an extra 10 to 15 minutes with two or three more kids. And I mean, you didn't rush through it. You took your time. And I just think you're kind of uh, misunderstood that I think you have a big heart and just an all-around good guy. And I, I, I didn't know that about you. And when I first found out you were going to be there, I asked some of my buddies if they knew you. And Darren Oliver was one of the first ones. And he said, oh, I love Bob. Oh, man, fucking solid, solid cat right there. And I've been, I was Darren's agent for nine years. And, and, you know, I trust his opinion. And Kevin Mench said the same thing. And Kevin I know you. Kevin Mench is a fucking piece of work, that guy is. And I just, you know, I uh, – I think that's one thing about you that most people probably wouldn't know is that you're a kind guy. You got a big heart and you really love working with kids. Well, I guess the cat's out of the bag now. Shit. All this, all this <laughs> work, you know, all, all these years playing the asshole, you just ruined it. My wife's work, they just ruined it in freaking 30 seconds. Thanks. <laughs> hey, man. I, I, I speak the truth. I, I, honestly, though, Jeff, for a lot of that shit, it's, it's literally playing a character. Um, it was it was a, a, a mental metamorphosis going into a game every night because it was, it was I mean, stressful shit. I mean, when you're uh, and he, you know playing the big league is stressful enough. Um, good team, bad team, whatever. I mean, just the lifestyle itself can be can be very stressful. But when you're fucking closing games uh, for three future Hall of Famers every single night, um, Maddox just spun a you know two hit shutout and ninety five pitches, and you got to come in to protect his one run lead the ninth inning. And you're up by two games against the Mets in fucking August, and yeah, it's fucking tight, yeah. And your Hall of Fame manager, and the the, the leash is, is non-existent. There, there is no fucking leash. Um, and if you don't come in just mentally ready to actually just tear somebody's head off, um, yeah, I mean, any little slip-up, and here's your ticket to AAA, and we'll see a September call-up. Um, very stressful. And then the, the, the way I dealt with that was just basically just becoming uh, becoming a persona, becoming a, a character, Um Asshole John can handle it. Um, big-hearted John can't. So let's just be asshole John uh, around that field and just just be the, the biggest just flaming idiot as I possibly can and just try to like, intimidate people um, and get myself uh, in, in the, the, the right mental mindset um, to really not realize exactly what situation I'm in. If I stopped and thought, holy shit, there's 60,000 people around me. There's a million watching on TV. I've got Jeter walking to the plate with a timer on third. Um, I've got to save this game from Maddox. Really, what you stop and think about that, you'll fucking crumble. So um, basically, uh, just learn to play a character. Just learn to play a character. I know exactly how it came across, but that's what I needed to kind of shield myself from the reality of you know exactly what you know what what my situation was at the moment. Yeah, that's so true, and I don't think it's talked about enough because most people that know me, uh, my friends here. They know me. I'm a pretty good guy. I'm the same dude every day. But they don't know that the guy I was on the baseball field. When the game started, I wasn't friends with anybody. I was, And I don't really know why. I guess I just had to, like you, I had to try and be something different to, to focus and, and put everything I had into it. But, you know, my nickname was Red Ass because during the game, I was played just off. And I wasn't happy. And I was going to try to take you out. And I was going to do – lean into a pitch if I had to. I was there to win baseball games because we're professionals. We get paid to win. We don't get paid to put up stats. Later on, <coughs> we get paid by stats. But I felt like every day my job was to win that day. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, you work, work as hard as you can to get there or as hard as, you know, hard as we had to get there. Uh, most people don't, don't understand that. They, uh they say all these fucking you know, high-priced crybaby athletes, you know, why they get paid so much, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, well, first of all, the reason we get paid so much is it's all about specialization. So, you know, why does uh, 
Garrett Cole get paid $35 million a year uh, as he's, he's in the top 10 best pitchers on the planet. He's, he's, he's one of, you know, 7 billion people on the planet. That's that good. If you were the best heart surgeon on the planet, you probably make about, 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 the, uh, about the same money. So, but it's that, but it's also just the, 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 the decades. It's a, I, I, I got a hair up my ass when I was 14 years old. So yeah, I wanted to play in the big leagues and it became my mindset at 14 years old. I had to do something every single day to play in the big leagues, whether it's working out, whether it's playing, whether it's reading a book, whether it's watching a ball game, whether it's reading magazine articles about Roger Clemens, whether it's doing my stretching routine, what every single day. And I got the business when I was 23. So you know, for a decade, did something, you know, probably 330, 340 days a year to get to the big leagues. When you finally get there, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's about fucking winning. I work way too goddamn hard to get here to fucking just lay down and let, me, let, 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 you, let you take my fucking job. Fuck you. Right. And, and that's, I mean, the first goal is to get there. And the hardest thing is to stay there. Because- I'd say the same thing. It's, it's hard, hard to get there. It's hard, fucking hard to stay there. Yeah, and I don't I don't think we necessarily see that in today's game because I, I, there's a lot of guys I see that are in the big leagues now that 20 years ago you wouldn't be in the big leagues hitting 160. And and, and, and we talk about this shit and yeah the the, the launch angle horse shit and this exit velocity all this fucking tired garbage. I wonder I wonder though obviously that that, that does affect averages and, and, and guys aren't trying to be gappers anymore and and, and you know take the ball the other way use the whole part of the field which those are the guys I fucking hated facing like you you did that shit. Well, <laughs> um, those, those those big hackers those Deadpool guys I would, I would eat your fucking ass. Um, but I wonder too how much the other uh, shift has played in those batting averages. I mean, I, I mean time and time again you do see a guy stay back up the box right and there's the fucking. Uh, you know, shortstop right behind second base. That that should have been a you know a two or three hopper up the middle of the center fielder for you know an easy single. You don't see that shit anymore. You don't see fucking singles up the middle. Uh, that's a single. You know, right at fucking six three. Um, so I one of those you know two thirty. Oh, those guys were hitting two thirty five. Well, maybe not with a shift in play. It might be a two seventy two eighty hitter. You know, right? So how much that that shift is is taken into account for some of these low batting averages uh, in addition to just the piss poor approach. Yeah, I think it's a combination, and I, I'm opposed to them banning the shift next year because I think it's reward players from reward players for not making adjustments. And a guy like Joey Gallo, who hits, and I, everybody thinks I pick on Joey. I have nothing against Joey, but I just look at the numbers, and I mean, you hit a hundred ground balls to short, shallow right field every year. You have to do something different, and I think we're rewarding guys for. Refusing to. I, I, I don't understand why that, that, that there's such an obvious adjustment. I mean, that's something not even to think about. Go in the fucking cage, sit the damn tee on the outer part of the plate, and I mean, that, that's 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 your work. Fucking lag those hands to the goddamn zone, hit the ball in right field, hit the ball in left field if you're if you're a lefty. But learn to to, to, to go the other way. You don't have to go the way with the other way with with authority. I mean, just hit me a freaking five hopper uh, in, in, in in the fucking vacant five hole. That's all you got to do. Just make contact the opposite side of the field. And there, there's, a, there's a stand-up single for you. Easy. Especially a guy like that who can hit the ball out of any part of the ballpark. You don't have to pull every ball. He hit a yeah. ball run the other day in left center field in Dodger Stadium. And it's like, man, why hasn't he been doing that for the last year when he hit, you know, he played so bad for the Yankees that they had to get rid of him. Yeah. Yeah, that was what they always, always – uh, Used to frustrate and confuse, uh, uh, confuse about Andrew Jones. I, pl- I played with uh, with Andrew for five years in the big leagues. We played together for two years in minors. <clears throat> and this guy could turn on any fucking fastball. Um, just had something like a, like a Gary Sheffield, you know, quick hands inside. But obviously, uh, you know, first time around the league, <clears throat> uh, book out of him is you know fastball sliders away, changes away, um, roll over him you know, every time. And so is is you know like with everybody else, you know, second time through the league. That's the fucking book on him, and it, it was just nothing but a steady diet of right-handed sliders, left-handed change-ups, and everybody fastballs out of third. Um, it, 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 was, it was the same formula, just roll over, roll over, roll over. And I saw this dude, I mean, hours in the cage, on the field, yeah, would do nothing but hit the ball away, hit away, other way, other way, other way. But get in the game, roll over it again. Like, <laughs> what do you, what do you, what, the effort, the, 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 the the energy level that you just uh, expended with all those swings hitting all the way to the first slider you see is heading right for the fucking shortstop. Like, 
What are you doing, dude? I just, I, I, I never understood the work, the work, the work, the work, and the lack of application. And in my mind, 100%, that's why he's not in the Hall of Fame. Right. If, if, he, if he can apply that to just a 20 or 30% degree of everything he worked on, I mean, he'd be, he'd be a fucking first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, you know, his last three or four years of the league, I don't, I don't even know if he hit, uh, hit over 200. He was like a, you know, 200, 190 hitter, you know, threw, threw a few hundred bats too. Not like, you know, 30 bats, but like, you know, 108, 200 bats platooning, you know, I think like a buck 90 for LA. Um, how's a guy with hands that damn quick? Just, you know, and he was only like 36, 37, but like he was, you know, his early forties or anything. Yeah. I think maybe at that point of his career, he was just trying to get his home run totals up to improve his chances of getting in the hall of fame. But I know for 10 years, he was, you know, one of the top center. Oh, yeah. One, one, uh, 10 consecutive goal gloves. Yeah. It's not easy to do. No. And, 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 and hit, uh, 430, 440 home runs. And well, he got cheated on me, a fucking cheat on home runs. No, no. And, and and I, I, it was like 260 something, and, you know, probably a good 15 points of that was that, uh, those last three or four years where he's, you know, barely hitting 200. And right. brought him down a good 15, 20 points. I think 440 home runs, 10 gold gloves, and a 280 lifetime average. That's kind of hard to argue against, but a 260 something average, and you weren't Reggie Jackson. Um, you know, a little, little bit, a little bit tougher case there. Two sixties, seventeen points higher than the whole league sitting right now, Rock. So that'd be you could in about yeah. two years, two sixty might win a batting title. The way we're going. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is. It is. Uh, it is an anomaly. I, I look at it, and the yeah, others can't remember who it was. Yeah, some, 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 some whole team. I can't remember what team it is hitting two twenty eight as a team. Oh, fucking team hitting two twenty eight. I think Oakland's hitting worse than that. I think Oakland's hitting around two under two twenty as a team. And if, if you if you if you ever came to the plate against me, and you were hitting below two fifty, I, I barely even considered you. I'm like, and if you got hit, I was if you hit me, I was real pissed. I'm like, I got hit a fucking two forty hitter. You shitting me? Um, which which you know it, it happens. But if you weren't hitting over two fifty, I mean you, you were, you know, you were you were ninety five percent out. And if if you ran to one, you got me. Whatever, I, you know, fucking blind hog every once in a while. But um, I can't imagine a whole team hitting two thirty. A whole team of fucking number eight, number fucking eight hole hitters. Yeah, you look forward to facing those guys. <laughs> I want to. I want to talk a little bit about your uh, your years with the Braves. I was checking out your stuff today and um, some of your numbers, and um, pretty impressive, man. You never gave up a run in I think twenty one postseason appearances, and it's pretty incredible. I mean, you did a great job. Playoff two and a third innings. Yeah. And, and Here, here's, a, here's a fun fact, fucking media, um, especially back when, uh, you know, Yankees World Series and, and Rivera, um, they love to, you know, there was an ALCS or World Series or whatever, Rivera comes in and whenever we throw the stat up, uh, just trying to, you know, jerk him off. Um, uh, best ERAs all time, you know, postseason, yeah, it always say minimum 15 innings pitch. That's the thing they want to get a tout Rivera on. Rivera, we bow down to you. Which, you know, he was awesome, but whatever. And uh, 22 uh, in the third innings uh, in the postseason, zero ERA. I saw that stat pop up 10 times. Best ERAs all time, minimum 15 innings pitch. My name out there one single time. Never so much as a mention for my zero ERA in the postseason. No respect, man. You're the Rodney Dangerfield of closers. Well, it was, it was it was an intentional omission just because of fucking media bias. What, what a bunch of fucking assholes. Well, they love you in New York. You know that. No, no, no. They're the fucking best. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about your uh, uh, your the pitchers that you uh, were on your staff when you were with the Braves. I mean, I remember playing once they started interleague play, and you know we played the Braves in a three-game series, and, and we had Smoltz, Glavin, and Maddox, and it was like, Okay, well, in your in your opinion, Frenchie, um, who'd you uh, who'd you least like to see out of those three? Who who, uh, who gave you the most trouble? Smoltz. Yanni did, huh? Why is that? I just um, that, that filthy slider. Yeah, overall, the best stuff. He threw the hardest. He had a nasty slider, uh, and I only faced those guys once, maybe maybe twice. I think Glavin maybe twice. Maddox only had one time, and. Yeah. I mean, Maddox for me wasn't uncomfortable at bat. Neither was Glavin. It was just I knew that I had to expand the zone because I was a nobody. 
and these guys had been established. You know, they've had great careers. And back in those days, the strike zone was a little bit wider than it is today with Javi back there. And um, I'll never forget, I know you know Jimmy Williams, right? Oh, yeah. One of the smartest baseball men I ever met. And I'm playing for Jimmy. We're in, uh, we're in Atlanta, and I'm facing uh, Glavin, leading off the game. And uh, Mark Hirschbeck is behind the plate. He's a <laughs> big strike. Yeah, and I knew that going in. I mean, you got to know who's behind the plate and have an idea. And uh, so he gives him uh, one of the, you know, four or five-inch outside fastballs for a strike. And then he comes up and in, and and Javi kind of pulls it down, and he rings me up. And, and I, didn't, I didn't strike out a lot. Uh, yeah. Tried not to, you know, striking out a lot would have got me sent down. And I, I was pissed, and I, I turned around to Hirschbeck, and I said, give our guy the same shit. And he kind of followed me halfway to the dugout. And I walk in the dugout, and Jimmy Williams, just, he always had his arms crossed, and he's like, my nickname was Frito. He goes, Frito, what'd you say? I said, give our guy the same shit, Jimmy. And he goes, oh, 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 shit. He goes, well, you better be ready to swing the bat the rest of the game. <laughs> and I just, we just <laughs> knew back then that if those guys were on the mound – Man, they were going to get some pitches called, but you know, I didn't have a problem so much because they earned it. They yeah. earned those strikes. Yeah, when, 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 when the mitt doesn't move, you know, that's, that's, that's going to influence a lot of umpires. I, I, I've got a theory, though. Um, not, 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 a, not, a, not, a, not, a, not a big fan of Tom. Um, he's just, he's completely vanilla and just, just not a fan. Um, you know, we just have, have conflicting personalities. Um, <clears throat> But my theory is, uh, without that strike zone, Tom Glavin is not a Hall of Famer. Um, I sit there and watch him throw, you know, once every five days for you know about five years, and yeah, I mean he's 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 getting stuff you know covered in dirt. I mean he's 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 over the the chalk line, the left-handed batter's box for right-handed hitters, and getting that pitch all day long. And a lot of times the glove doesn't move, and you know, good catcher trying to influence that umpire more catches on the web, you know. Webs the ball where yeah glove didn't move, but it's it's, it's you know three or four more inches even farther out from you know the, the, the center of the mitt. So you know, a lot of times he's getting stuff on the chalk line, left hand batter's box, even you know farther out than that. Uh, if 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 Javi or Eddie could could web the ball, <clears throat> and it was what 2000, 2001, and the umpires came through and were making a concerted effort to raise the strike zone. You know the the, the, the true Devon strike zone, hollow below the knee to letters. And made a concerted effort to do that, and did that pretty much the entire year. And like you know, no more off the plate. We're gonna, that's going to be a, a special protocol this year. No more off the plate. But we're going back to the width of the plate, hollow below the knees, two letters. Uh, Tom was ten and ten that year with a four and a half ERA. Oh, <laughs> uh, his, his whole career. What he's not a Hall of Famer, dude. Yeah, he, sure was, he, he is though. He was a year or close, and I, I remember when they did that because I was pissed. I was like. They're calling strikes on pitches up in the zone that I would never swing at. Now I'm going to yeah. have to completely change. I, I was always taught, don't if it's above your hands, don't swing. And, and I remember that. I had a hard time adjusting to that. And luckily, they went away from that. That didn't last too long, but I can see oh, what else. They make a big, big sting about something for you know half an hour and forget about it. Right, right. Well, I want to uh, change up a little bit. I want to talk about something that uh, – uh, about steroids because and there's a, there's a person a man I'm going to talk about that we both know and we both think very we don't th- we think the same about this guy he's no longer with us his name's Oscar Acosta and I know that he was uh, you ran into Oscar um, somewhere as a pitcher <clears throat> he challenged you to a fight um, so you know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about Oscar Acosta. Mm-hmm. I'm in a ball in Gastonia, North Carolina, in 1989. It's a fine town. Yeah, and I'm, uh, you know, I'm having a great year. I end up winning the batting title that year somehow, and I get called in the office with Orlando Gomez, our manager, Oscar's a pitching coach, and he goes, "Have you ever considered using steroids?" And I said, "No." Who offers that to you? Yes, yes, yes. Oh, and I, that kind of spirit of player. <laughs> I was like, "Why?" He goes, "Because I don't think you're ever going to be big enough to play in the." And I'm like, well, if I'm not big enough to play in the big leagues, I'm not big enough. But I'm not – I didn't know anything about steroids except Lyle Alzado died with like a 30-pound liver. 
back in those days. That's the first I'd ever heard anything about steroids. And I'm like, man, my freaking pitching coach, not mine, but the pitching coach of the, that team asked me if I would do steroids. I'm like, no, I'm not doing steroids. And I know that um, at some point in your career, you made the decision to, to use steroids and you've been open about it. And we know back in those days when we played, there was a lot of guys using steroids. Some of them admitted, some have not. But uh, talk about a little bit, if you don't mind, uh, playing in the steroid era and why you made the decision to use them. Well, a couple, couple of reasons. You know, the, the way it first started, um, you know, again, 14 years old, something every day to, to be in the big leagues. I mean, it, it, was, it was a decade. And, you know, Myers, as you know, I mean, it's, it's a roller coaster ride. You're, you know, laying in your bed one night after a great game when you're playing your you know, where you're going to buy your house when you get to the, you know, the big league city and the kind of car you're going to drive in. You know, five days later, you, you, you give up, you know, seven and two and a third, and you start looking at the one ad scene where you can go fucking sell used cars. So you just all over the place, all over the place, all over the place. And, you know, finally started, you know, started, you know, narrowing it down, you know, narrowing the scope down and becoming a lot more consistent. But, of course, you know, knew, knew when I was up against the starting pitcher, I've got to break into a rotation with three future Hall of Famers, uh, and then they usually round the rotation out with a Dean Nagel type, you know, some somebody that's this, this uh, they sign a free agency or getting traded right before free agency. Um, this 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 you know five six year you know, big league veteran, uh, and then usually one spot is left for a guy they bring up you know through the minors, a Kevin Millwood type, you know, something like that. Um, and I knew you know the odds of me being a star of that organization were not very good, but was pitching really well. But I'm like, it's not fucking Cy Young well, so I'll see myself back in this rotation. So they moved me to. Um, uh, the bullpen um, in uh, in one ball one year, about double A year, and then went to the Arizona Fall League as a starter. And I, know, I was maybe like I don't know, fifteen and seven uh, between double A and the Fall League with a you know, ERA somewhere in the, in the maybe high twos or something. Was throwing well, and um, uh, you know there, there should be a spot open in the bullpen uh, come spring. We want you to go to Puerto Rico and relieve, like not relieve, but uh, sure, absolutely. Um, so go down there and. And dealt, you know, through, through really well out of the bullpen, um, maybe 20 innings or so and about a buck and a half ERA, something like that, and then went to um, spring training after that. So I showed up for spring training. I've been playing for about, I guess, 12 straight months. I think in 12 months I'd had about maybe two, collectively like two weeks off. My innings were 250 innings uh, in, 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 in 12 months. I'm showing up for spring training, my first big league camp, and I go into the uh, – uh, the training room of the strength coach, maybe third or fourth day, I'm like, something's going on with me, man. Like, I, 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 I take a brush and comb my hair, and my shoulder is just on fire. Like, like, like I've been doing like a 20-minute shoulder workout or something. Uh, like that, that's how fatigued I am. And it's the fifth day of spring training. I'm trying to make the big league club for the first time. It's a decade, you know, decade of freaking work, 330 days a year for 10 years, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of days have come down to my first big league camp. The next 10 innings, they're kind of important, and here I am. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, in in, 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 uh, in winter ball, you know, six weeks prior, month, you know, month or so prior, <clears throat> I went 95, 98. I show up at spring training. I'm top out at 91. Like, where they fucked it eight miles an hour ago, and <laughs> I'm just like, oh shit, I'm, 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 I'm out in, you know, a war zone with open fire. I got no gun, no shield, no nothing. I'm just freaking taking haymakers over here. What the hell am I supposed to do? Um, and Ran to a guy that you know, fucking fantastic dude, Rudy seeing this. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, Rudy, Rudy fucking, I mean, I'll say saved my career, but uh, I sure as hell wasn't going to break camp with a big league ball club throwing 90 miles an hour uh, when I'm used to throwing 98. Um, and sure as hell, I'm not going to get through a whole, you know, full season. I'm, I'm, I'm that fatigued in spring training. I, I've got another 180 ball games to play, you know, plus, you know, postseason, everything else. I've got, you know, look, look at a schedule of, you know, 180 to 200 ball games coming up. It's, you know, the third day of March, and I'm already gassed. Like, that ain't going to happen. Um, so that was that was kind of how, how, how I got started, just um, just from being, you know, worked like a dog for about 12, uh, about 12 months, 250-plus innings, and then get ready to start another full season. I mean, it's just no time off. Uh, hitters can do that. Pitchers, not so much. Um, but then secondly, um, you know, once you kind of get around the league, and you know, I, I was you know, a baseball fan forever, and, I know, I know how Mark McGuire looked when he was a, a, a Oakland A. How Barry Bonds looked when he was a Pittsburgh Pirate. I knew how you know Piazza looked when he was an LA uh, an LA Dodger. Um, 
And you look at the guys now, you're like, these guys are freaking monsters, man. You know what the hell's going on. And you're closing ball games for three future Hall of Famers, a Hall of Fame manager. You just worked a decade of your of your life, you know, 340, 350 days a year for more than a decade to get here. You sure as hell want to stay. I know what the guy 60 feet from me is doing. Uh, I know what the guy who pitched before me did. I know what my manager expects. And I can't very well walk into a game or excuse me, walk into a dugout with, you know, droopy face to Bobby. Well, Bobby, but he's what I'm not going to do, but he's what I'm not, I'm not going to do. I'm not doing that, though. But you're like, uh, yeah, fuck you. Here's the ticket in AAA, and we'll see a September call-ups. Um, you can't let your team down. You can't let your manager down. You can't let the guy that uh, the pitch before you can't let that guy down. You know what the dude standing 60 feet away from you is doing. I'm not going to walk into a fucking gunfight with a knife. I'm just not going to do it. I'm, I'm paid to fucking win ball games however the hell I can. Um, you know, some people think it's a an ethical thing, uh, maybe a moral thing. Who knows? Um, if you think that, then you know, you're, you're, you're entitled to your opinion. But, um, you know, put yourselves in some shoes where a lot of people depend on your ass. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to let them down. If i got to fucking, you know, kind of tweak the rules a little bit to, um, you know, to uh, fulfill my end of the bargain, um, I get some, you know, folks that they're tweaking the rules too. I'm just leveling the playing field. Uh, yeah, you got to do what you got to do. Right. Well, I mean, we both know that there were so many guys that were on them that nobody nobody knows today. I mean, but we saw it. We saw – I remember seeing Jason Giambi walk at the end of the uh, year in Oakland. Uh, he was just coming up. And the next year we're in Vegas in spring training, and he walks in front of our dugout. And we're like, who's that? It's like, that's Giambi. It's like, what? So he was 30 pounds heavier than he was a year before, and it was – you know, back in those days where they weren't testing, there was no drug testing. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so a lot of guys took advantage of that. There's a lot of, you know, different schools. You know, of- you know, the, 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 the trainers knew what was going on. The damn front offices did. I mean, everybody fucking knew. I mean, there, there was always, you know, little tongue-in-cheek jokes around the uh, around the training room um, about stuff like that. Pitching coaches were always, you know, joking with you and saying shit to you. Or, you know, the hitting coach, you know, they're talking about a hitter. Because, um, you know, when, you're, when you go through your physical and get your blood work done, if you're on anything, it comes back where your your your, uh, your uh, cholesterol is high, and uh, I can remember you know how many times I won't name the names, but you know number of guys they would you know call us in to, to you know go over our physicals with us and blood work and whatever. And uh, Jeff Porter, our trainer, would be like, and you and you and you and you and you and you and you, your cholesterol is a little bit high, guys. So you might want to watch what you eat. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, to a to a to a a twenty six year old man with high cholesterol. Yeah, I wonder, wonder how that happened. Yeah, I wonder <laughs> exactly how that happens. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy, man. Yeah. How can you, how can you have high cholesterol at twenty six when you work out yeah. nine months? You're, you're in great shape. You're twelve percent body fat, and you know your cardio is good. But your cholesterol is high. The, the, the trainer knows exactly why your cholesterol is high. Nobody gave a shit. You know? No, nah, I think we knew. I mean, the union knew. Everybody knew. Um, you know, I guess, what would you estimate the percentage of players back in those days in the nineties and the early two thousands when you played the percentage of guys in the league that were actually using steroids? Uh, I would say 60%. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Here's another good story. Um, sorry to interrupt you, buddy. <clears throat> but another good story about this shit. Remember, um, uh, Dr. Solomon, Dr. Millman, the the, the 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 league doctor and the commissioner's office doctor. Yes. Or the, the, the doctor for the uh, commissioner's office doctor for the player association. Mm-hmm. Really coming around every year and, you know, the smokeless tobacco, the STDs, that little talk they give us, you know, right right there in spring training. So they come around and uh, when I was in Texas and, uh, you know, give a little talk and whatnot. I'd known them, you know, for several years. And, and um, I don't remember how we got to talking to them after, you know, after the little speech was over. Well, the team goes out of the field, and I'm in the clubhouse talking to these two docs. One that was employed by the commissioner's office, Seeley, and the other was employed by the um, um, player association. <clears throat> it was me, um, Rafi, Alex, and Pudge. So they're talking to these, these two doctors. And it was almost like, you know, what's the first thing you do when you tell an off-color joke? You kind of look over your over, over each shoulder and make sure you know, nobody can hear what you're saying. I don't remember who was talking, but it was one of one of these docs that had just got done, you know, scaring the piss out of us about smokers tobacco and STDs and or steroids was on their their list of uh, 
of conversation uh, for that year. Look over the shoulder and like, look, guys, if you want to take one kind of steroid and you want to do it twice a year, it ain't going to hurt you. <laughs> Just literally 10 minutes after like, oh, it's going to make your neck trick, your balls fall off, you're going to get cancer and your eyes are going to explode. 10 minutes later, look, if you take one kind, you do it twice a year, it ain't going to hurt you. You're good. We won't tell anybody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, um, and, and, and Bud C. Like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. God, were you damn steroids? Really glad. Really. Somehow your nose just got bigger, you Pinocchio motherfucker. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know, one of the arguments I hear uh, from people is that uh, they say that, you know, a lot of us guys used uh, greenies. I admit I use greenies. Um, it's tough when you have play 162 games in, in six months, not to mention you have you know, six, seven weeks of spring training before that, and not to mention the training you do before spring training. So a lot of us used uh, greenies, and um, a lot of people say that using greenies is the same uh, as using steroids. It's still cheating. That's, that's, that's the stupidest thing ever. It is, it's it's no comparison. There's no comparison. I'm just like, they're like, it's still cheating. I was like, yeah, but, you know, guys are put on 30 pounds. And for me, the – I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. For me, the thing about steroids um, was that it gave you an edge. You felt that you were – at least this is my opinion from not doing it – is that you guys had an edge on the rest of us. You knew that you were stronger, you could recover faster, and that mental edge is really – that's a huge thing in professional sports. Yeah, honestly, the the, the the middle thing about steroids that's that's that might be the biggest thing. I mean, just you, you feel like you're fucking ten feet tall, bulletproof. I mean, and, and when you when you step on a a man with a one run lead Yankee Stadium and you're getting a living shit boot out of you, and you got you know Bernie Williams and Tina Martinez and Paul O'Neill and Jeter coming up uh, with, with, a, with a fucking one point lead, you, you better feel like you're ten feet tall, and bulletproof. You're fucking better. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think people talk about that much. I mean, that's the thing you want to. I, I noticed when they when they implemented the steroid policy, and I don't really remember when that was, um, but there were guys who had incredible years the year before, and then all of a sudden they went to hell in a handbasket, and they were like a shell of themselves. And I'm like, these guys are still very physical and athletic and strong, but they lost their mental edge. And now they can't freaking play. Now they're two years later, guys who are MVP candidates are out of baseball. So there's something to that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, definitely, definitely was. So that was, that was something that, uh, you know, and as far as performance, um, yeah, I mean, it, it will make you recover quicker. Um, it'll also make you a lot tighter. So I mean, you have to just you're constantly stretching and drinking a ton of water. Um, but as far as, it never really gave me more velocity. Um, before I started taking them, I was, you know, 95, 98, it might've given me a mile or two, you know, maybe that. Um, but it was, it was, that, it was that middle edge. Just like I said, you just feel 10 feet tall and bulletproof. You feel like it's just, it's just, a, just a don't fuck with me, man. Good mentality to have. All right. Well, I want to, I want to, uh, I want to talk a little bit about, uh, one of my favorite, uh, shows that I watched on Netflix. I think it was Netflix. Um, Eastbound and down, Kenny fucking Powers, and I loved it so much that I was Kenny Powers two years for Halloween. And I love that show, and Stevie, and then Better Call Saul, and all that stuff. And when I yep. saw the intro to Eastbound and Down, and I was like, "Holy shit!" That I think John Rockwell influenced this show. And I always wanted to ask you that. I think I asked you that when we were in Cody, but you have a great story about. Uh, uh, Kenny fucking Powers and 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 where you were born in relation to to Kenny. Yeah, I, I actually uh, hung out with Will Ferrell one night. Just ran into him randomly. <clears throat> it was him and Molly Shannon. I think some SNL writers has been years ago. It was before he's been and down. Uh, but it was after when Will Ferrell would dress up like me in a Braves uniform and run all over New York City and flick off the Statue of Liberty and flick off the Empire State. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, great shit. We had, we had a laugh about that. He's like, I want to, I want to not show. I know you're some beer. I'm going to kick my ass. Or I'm like, that was fucking funny as hell, man. Kick your ass. Um, but, uh, Eastbound Down, I guess, I guess came out, which, which Will Ferrell is a producer or is the executive producer of Eastbound Down, which means that he came up with a whole con concept, show, concept of the show. Um, so yeah, um, uh, him playing a character based on me on Saturday Night Live and then coming up with a whole 
you know, premise behind Eastbound and Down. Yeah, I would, I would say it's loose, loosely based on me. But Danny McBride that plays, you know, plays my loosely based character. <clears throat> um, well, I told you before the show, I was born in Statesboro, Georgia, which is, I mean, today it's a town of maybe 30,000 people. Eh, maybe more. So it's got Georgia Southern there. Which is a decent size school. It, it may be 50,000 now. Uh, still, still, you know, still a fairly small town. But I was born in 1974. Back then, that town was no more than 20,000. I mean, tiny little town back then. Uh, so I was born in the Bullitt County Hospital in Statesboro, Georgia. And a town that small, I guarantee they don't, they don't, they don't birth more than, I don't know, what, 50, 60, 70 kids a year? I mean, can't, can't, can't be more than that. And the last of that is kind of a, sleepy country town with no cable TV and, you know, we ain't got no cable TV. Well, what else, what else is there to do? You know, just mm-hmm. talk all day. <clears throat> but anyway, <clears throat> I digress. Um, but in 1976, Danny McBride was born in Bullitt County Hospital in Statesboro, Georgia. <laughs> the, the, the guy that loosely plays me on that show were born in the same Bullitt County Hospital, Statesboro, Georgia, two years apart. That's pretty crazy, man. It's yeah, how funny, funny. I, I, I didn't know that like two years ago. Somebody told me that. I'm like, really? Oh, shit. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's cool. All right, I want to I want to ask you uh, after your playing career, um, you did a couple things, uh, and I've heard you talk a little bit about one of them that uh, you regretted doing Survivor. And uh, you, you know, Steph, my girl, um, she's always talked to me about doing the uh, Naked and Afraid, and I'm like, babe, I can walk. I would be able to walk about ten feet barefooted before I'd have to stop. Not having shoes would be the worst. Yeah. The worst. Out in the middle of nowhere. So what was it like doing Survivor? I heard you talk about it a little bit. You know, and I, I've done a, few, a couple of reality TV shows before that. did, did uh, Pros vs. Joes. And it was Day and Girl uh, that did a number of episodes of the MTV Made show. So I was, I was on set with them. We were filming that for several episodes. And you know, so much reality TV is staged is, is for the cameras. It's cut, cut. All right, say it this way and say it that way. And you stand over here and you two act like you don't like each other. And so you, you, you watch all the Kardashians and all these, you know, stupid ass reality TV shows. And it's, 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 it's recut. It's edited. It's, it's, you know, take after take after take. It's not reality. It's fucking fake. Um, and so I, I assume that was Survivor. Eh, how bad could it be? I'm, I'm sitting there. I, I never even watched the show. And CBS, uh, somebody with CBS got in touch with me in their, their casting department, gets in touch with me, sends me an email, you want to be on Survivor? I'm like, yeah, anything better to do, sure, I'll do it. Um, so I started to watch this show. I never watched it. Actually, I watched it maybe 10 years before that because John Burkett was a huge Survivor fan. I don't remember Burkett. Um, so I watched the clubhouse with him once or twice. I never could get into it. So I started watching it just like, you know, what the hell is this uh, show about? I started looking. I'm like, you know, she can't be real. I mean, she, they want this, this island or wherever the they are for four weeks. None of them have hairy armpits. They don't have hairy legs. It's, it's, they're staying in hotels. They're staying like in a, a campsite, something. Nah, this is this for the cameras. This is a stage. Wrong. It's not. <laughs> I was, uh, I was uh, really awakened that it's not fake. I'm like, oh shit, what the hell did I sign up for? Um, yeah, it's fucking brutal, dude. Um, even the way they present on TV, it's way worse. There's so much stuff that goes on, you know, when the cameras aren't rolling behind the scenes, when the camera isn't on you, and it just every bit of it is just nothing but just a daytime of sucks. Everything you do sucks. Yeah, for for it just just from the time you went to the time you fall asleep, your your, your life is fucking terrible. And how, um, how long did it take you to realize that you made a mistake? Thirty minutes. <laughs> Oops! Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoops! Didn't, 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 didn't mean to. Sorry. Have a do-over, please. How long did um, it last? I was on the show for eleven days. Thank God. Um, I lost twenty pounds. I lost twenty pounds in eleven days. Yeah, wow. fucking miserable. Quiet. It's good for your physique, but you've got to be complete. Thank you, thank you, survivor. I, I was like forced oh. to buy by golf show. Um, calories a day are you eating? Huh? How many calories a day are you eating? What are you eating? Like, uh, like that? 200. I mean, they, 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 they give you something. They give you white rice, which white rice has zero nutritional value to it. Mm-hmm. It's, like it's just it's useless. It's like eating air. Um, and they give you coconuts. Uh, and that's it. Um, I was able to catch some fish because you get like a little cane pole. There was a little brackish pond. Uh, 
And I caught some hermit crabs, <clears throat> use them for bait. I caught two or three of that with some like catfish or something. But then, you know, you get back to your little camp and there's, you know, 900 little mouths there, like little chirping, chirping little birds in a, in a nest. And, uh, no, I, uh, I caught these. I, I, I caught them. Not you, such a badass over there. But no, you, you can't, you, know, you got to feed everybody. So you get two or three fish like that, and you, know, you, you might get three bites. Um, I would uh, catch some blue crabs. Was able to, was able to, 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 to kill maybe three, four, five blue crabs a day, which they're, you know, big as big as your hand anyway. Um, they're a decent size. Uh, but again, same thing, you know, five blue crabs and nine people do the math, you know. Um, Jesus. You share your food? Huh? You had to share the stuff you caught with other people. I'd be like, get your own. Well, I mean, it's either that or just eat it right in front of them. You know, oh, I'm, <laughs> I thought it was a competition to see who could survive, survival of the fittest. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take a nap now. I'm full. But <laughs> 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 choking you to sleep. Um, now, it's not that. It's, it's the, the, the survivors. It's, it's, a, it's more like a social game. It's, it's you know, forming alliance with other players and you know, backstabbing people. It's, it's, it's more like a strategy game. Uh-huh. Um, but you're, you're doing that in that you're fucking starving. You're filthy. You're tired. Um, you're just you're just you just merely have no focus because it, it's, it's amazing when you're that hungry. You just you can't think about anything but food. I've never. I've, I didn't, and what really fucks with you? You're at home. You're starving. Oh, I miss breakfast. Oh shit, miss lunch. Hungry as hell. You know when you're going to eat again. Ah, uh, you know, wife's cooking a big dinner tonight. Man, no, no, no. You're a survivor. You're that hungry. You have no clue when you're going to eat again. It might be tomorrow. It might be a week from now. I don't know. Yeah, I might get. Three or four bites of rice, but what's that going to do? Um, literally, not 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 make a dent in this freaking immense hunger pain that I have. Um, yeah, and you have no idea when you're going to eat again. That's what that's what that's what that's what fucked with you right there. Yeah, that doesn't sound very. Yeah, when, when will this misery end? I have no idea. <laughs> uh, I wanted uh, so today, uh, twenty one years ago today, I was playing for the Blue Jays, and uh, I saw that. I saw your saw your your post this morning. Yeah, my cycle. It was a crazy day. The first two hits. Yeah, I mean, what else? I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a great day in American history. I mean, today, I think uh, George Washington crossed the Potomac on, on this day, you know, in 17 or whatever. I, I think today, I think it's when, when uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves, I think. And it is also when Jeff uh, uh, Fry hit for the cycle. Yeah. Know? And pulled up. A day. Day in American history with Jeff Fry hit for the cycle and Abraham Lincoln and George Washington, too. You know, it goes right along with it. Well, the best part of the cycle is that. Uh, uh, the double and triple were off Darren Oliver, and um, yeah, I saw that. Darren Oliver's on my forty and over team. We actually have practice tonight, and uh, you know, I I'll tell 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 you I said that. I will, but the funny thing is, there's another person involved in this that you also had uh, some issues with. So I hit for the cycle. I stop it first with with a for sure double in a blowout game. Next day, I read the paper, and the manager of the Texas Rangers who knew me from my time with the Rangers as a bench coach in the paper says that I teach my players to play the game the right way and basically takes a shot. He didn't didn't teach anybody anything. That's fucking useless. That's Jerry Naren. And, and, and so I went over the next day I was, you know, I was all right with Jerry when he was with the Rangers. Um, but I go over to their side of the field during batting practice the day after I hit for the cycle with the organization I came up with and there's Jerry. And I walked over and shook his hand said, Jerry, just wanted to apologize to you for stopping at first. Congratulations on being named Rangers manager. And he goes, instead of saying, thanks, Jeff, he goes, just play the game, just play the game. And I walked away and I was like, you know what? Fuck Jerry Naren. Uh, I didn't have to say shit to you. I was being a gentleman and going over there to just try and make everything clear because all the players on the team that I had played with and the coaches that I had had, Rudy Hanamio, Bobby Jones, all said, Rudy, better, better do than Rudy, man. Yeah, nothing wrong with what you did. Even my manager, my coaches, you know, yeah, nobody said anything except one person, Jerry Naren. And I was like, yeah, piss on Jerry Naren. I know you had some uh, issues with Mr. Naren. Yeah. I just, uh, it wasn't necessarily a personal issues. I just thought he was a shit manager. Um, and maybe it was, uh, Maybe it was the, the, the perspective I had, uh, you know, being with Bobby Cox for five years and my manager after Bobby was uh, Charlie Manuel. Uh, I mean, two, two, you know, stud managers. And then I get Jerry Naren. <laughs> I was like, really? Um, I don't know who does it. 
<laughs> just, 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 a, just a fucking joke. I don't know if he, if he had pictures on somebody. I, mean, I don't know how the hell he got that job. Because the year, uh, well, I, I guess 01 was probably his first year. Uh, and I was, I was there in 02. Um, we, I think we, we might have had the highest payroll in baseball that year. It was like $190 million payroll, which, you know, now is in the middle of the pack, holy. But back then, I mean, you had A-Rod at, at, at short, um, Mike Young at second, uh, Rafi playing first, Pudge catching, Juan Gonzalez in right, um, Carl Everett in center. We had a fucking stud team. And, it, 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 and you, you give that team to Jerry Naren, man, that's like giving a fucking 16-year-old a Ferrari for his first car and, 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 and expect him not to crash it. And they'd be surprised when he does. I can't believe you crash your 600-horsepower Ferrari. How did that happen? I'm 16, asshole. I wanted the experience to fucking handle something like this. Give that fucking team to Jerry Naren. Yeah, that's a pretty impressive uh, lineup you guys had. <laughs> yeah, we were, we were. But, but we, we were 30 games under 500. We stunk. We were terrible. I mean, pitching, pitching staff wasn't good. You know, me included, I had a fucking terrible year. But, uh, but um, yeah, the, the staff the staff was uh, – was fairly weak. Didn't, didn't have any. I mean, Kenny Rogers was uh, Ishmael um, Valdez. Uh, I, was, I don't remember who else, uh, who were other starters were. Mm, that, it I don't must who the other three were. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 Chanho Park, Chanho. Yeah, he had a decent year. Yeah. We, 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 were, we were fucking terrible, man. Didn't do anything right. Yeah, so those Braves teams you played on, were you guys uh, tight in the clubhouse? Wait, what? Were you guys tight? Were you like a tight knit group where everybody was, or was a bunch of little factions yeah, guys over not here? Really? Um, it was kind of a. Uh, I don't know, it was it was almost too professional. Um, you know, it's obviously a clubhouse atmosphere is going to, is going to be dictated by the by the veterans. Um, and you have you know Glav that's got you know basically no personality. My my personality of Tom Glav it. it Works a little better if you can see me, but it's Tom. Your best friend just died. Tom, he's won a million dollars. I mean, he's just just fucking vanilla man. Just a, just a, just a damn flat line. And then you got Smolty. He's a big god squad guy. Um, love Max. Great dude. Just a little weird. Um, he's not a not a go out guy. Not a hey, let's you know go have some beers after the game. He's he's, he's a little eccentric. Um, and. Uh, and that was just kind of the atmosphere that the, the, the team had. There was, you know, there was you know, a few guys on the team that would that would uh, you know go out and go out and let loose a little bit. But, you know, most most of the guys I'd say were you know married with kids guys, and you know, a lot of times wives and kids would come on road trips. And of course, uh, you know, when you're in, in your own, your home city too, um, there's what a whole lot of young guys. Um, you know, I think I was probably the third, fourth youngest guy on the team. Andrew was a little younger than me. It was me and Millwood. We're in our, you know, 23, 24-ish. Everybody else was, you know, late 20s, early mid-30s. And um, so, yeah, didn't 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 go out and do too much after games. We'd hang out, you know, in, in a clubhouse after the game and have a beer or two and shoot the shit. But um, and when I went to Cleveland, um, I mean, that, that was that was a, that was a fun team to play for with, with Berksy and with Berksy and uh, Chuck Finley and those guys. Um, we, we'd go out and you know, find some pool hall or something, uh, you know, on, on at least at least at least you know. One day a week, two days a week, you know, do some stuff like that. Go, go watch a late game. Go watch a West Coast game. You know, some bar or something. Hang out. But uh, like, I really like that. It was just, it was too, you know, almost like family oriented. Um, as soon as the game's over, let's go hang out with our families. Let's go hang out with the boys. Um, which nothing wrong with that. That's, that's just kind of kind of the, the atmosphere of the personality of the team. Yeah, and I was always. I mean, I played for four different teams, and you know, certain teams would go out, and you know, it doesn't mean you're out chasing ladies, but there's nothing wrong. Yeah. Nothing wrong with going out with your teammate. No, that's 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 not that's not to not say that we didn't have team meetings at Wanda's in uh, in uh, Montreal. We did. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm pleading the fifth on that one. Um, <laughs> not Shakery Wanda's. <laughs> I, I was more a Wanda's guy. Even though Shakery is much closer to the hotel, I still prefer Wanda's. <laughs> I mean, Wanda's is right there next, next to where the other uh, metro let out. Like the metro's had like just right across the street. There's Wanda's. I, mean, yeah. I think it's I remember just, the Wanda's. They had good cheeseburgers, right? Is that what it was? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I was always, I loved, I loved the teams I played for that, you know, three or four guys when I was with the Rangers, me and, and Will Clark and, and Billy Ripken and, and, and Mickey Tettleton. We'd stay after 
Jeff Russ, we'd stay after the game, have two or three beers, and talk about what happened in the game. We talked mm-hmm. shop. And that doesn't happen today anymore. Those guys are out of there, back to the hotel, playing their video games. It just seems like it's so individual yeah. just now. Posting on their stupid fucking Twitter account. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, no, I'm glad there wasn't Twitter back when we played. God, no. I had enough problems getting away with shit without Facebook and Twitter and shit like that back then. Yeah. What would Bobby Cox have done to you if you threw a pitch and your cell phone flew out and landed on the mound? <laughs> I have no idea. I don't, I don't think I don't think Bobby would, would know what he would do. Like I, I would never expect that to happen. So how I react to some shit like that. Um, that happens today, Rock. That happens today occasionally. Huh? That happens. Uh, a guy for the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates the other day uh, was running uh, from second base to third and slid head first, and his cell phone popped out of his back pocket and popped out on the field. And it made that's you look at the game. That's, that's, that's actually a thing. That happened. That happened. He got to the game. His manager said it was an accident. He's a young kid. He's 23. Give a fuck. <laughs> Seriously. Seriously. Now, the, 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 the funny question is what Bobby would do. The funny question is what would Lou Pinella do? <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> I, I, I play for Lou and Tam. That's a good dude right there. Fucking love me some Lou Pinella. Uh, I was, yeah, I was, I was nursing a fucking busted shoulder in Tampa. I was on, running on fumes. But, uh, Built with the club, you know, went through extended spring, rehab, all that. So I'm up with the club for like maybe a first week, maybe for a few days. <clears throat> this young Dominican kid throwing good shit, but, you know, gets his fucking ass kicked and inning a third or something like that. And I think he gives up, you know, six, seven runs. Take him out in the middle of the inning. Um, I'm in the clubhouse still getting ready to go to the bullpen. Kid walks up, inning's still going on. Starts taking all his shit off. And pitching coach comes up, um, Jorge, what the fuck your name is. Put shit back on, back dug out, you know, uh, watch, watch our reliever clean up your fucking mess. Eyeballs, the pitching coach, keeps getting undressed. Ooh, I'm going to stick around and see what happens with this shit. <laughs> and then fucking Pinella comes up. By this time, kid's got his towel on, walking to the shower. Pinella comes up, kid's halfway across the fucking uh, clubhouse on the way to the fucking showers. Lou says, same shit. Looks at Lou, tur- keeps walking to the showers. Oh, my God. <laughs> Dude, the ass-chewing that kid got after the game, and then, then, then fucking one-way triple-X. We'll fucking see you next week. Yeah, yeah I don't know that happens today. I think that guy was in the game in the lineup the next day. Yeah, Lou, Lou, Lou closed on the, the door to his office, and you could hear him screaming out the fucking tunnel. Just eating <laughs> like his ass, man. He didn't yeah. chew his ass right then and there, but after the game, he fucking gave him a goddamn face full. Yeah, times are definitely different. Well, I told you I'd try to keep you under hour. We're right, we're right there. There's one last thing I wanted to talk to you about. I appreciate you being on here, Rock. But no problem, buddy. I think that uh, one thing I want to talk about was that people don't realize that professional athletes are regular people. That we have real world problems. That there's times where you know, there are other things on our mind when we show up into the field. Sometimes you might get into an argument with your significant other and that you dropped off the field. And it's something you can't get out of your mind, but yet you, you still have to go out and perform as if nothing. Or, or, you might get in, or you might get in a fight with like your side significant other. You know? <laughs> hey, you never know. It different strokes for different folks. But I think that's the thing that people don't realize. They show up at the game. They pay their money. They expect you to be the top of your game every day. and they don't know the little injuries that you're nursing or the pains here and there or mentally you're in a funk because you hadn't got a hit in three days or you feel like shit on the mound. You got dry hump two or three times and now you you know you're pitching tonight, but you might not have your top velocity. And, and I, I don't think people understand that, that we're real people. We have problems. We are pretty good at our job. That's why we're playing at this level, but we're still real people. And when you tell us we suck, we hear you. And we go back to our hotel after a shitty game. It's not like it's forgotten. We dwell on it. We think about it all night. And sometimes, you know, you dread going to the field the next day. I know I did. I don't know if you did. It was like, oh, what am I going to do shitty tomorrow? And, and it's <laughs> it's not always that we're completely confident and believe that we're going to go out and have a great game every day. There's a lot of days where it's the complete opposite of that. Did you experience that? Um, 
Yeah, uh, I'm trying to think about you know, as far as going to games. Yeah, I mean there there, there are some some days that, that yeah you're you're in a you're in a funk, you're in a slump, you know whatever you want to say, and uh, you're hitting the ballpark, just it whacking your brain and your mind to to, to, to stop the the train that's uh, that's going downhill in the fucking shit lake. Um, oh yeah, definitely. Uh, those are the days you feel like that. Uh, I hope the the cosmos shows up today and just gives me just a. Uh, an easy one, two, three, or let's be face, you know, uh, seven, eight pinch hitter, um, you know, kind of thing as opposed to two, three, and four with a one run game. There's just something easy to get my, you know, get my mind, my mind back right. Um, but yeah, it's right. You know, really dreading going to the park. I, I don't think I really dread it. You know, I, 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 you know, I would definitely have anxiety if I wasn't going good to, you know, try to figure out what the hell is going on and, and, you know, try to try to turn around the bad fortunes, but mm-hmm. as far as hating going to go to the ballpark, I, 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 usually, I usually I usually enjoy going to the yard. I really did. No, I did too. I did too. But uh, I know when I went to Boston, uh, when I went went over from Texas, I made an error in a game. Roger Clemens was pitching, and uh, they booed me off the field. And my wife had to leave the game, uh, crying uh, as they were screaming, "Go back to Texas, Jeff!" And I can promise you that that next day, going to the field. I wasn't really looking forward to it too much. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's that's one thing too. And, and you know, I'm not playing now, so I can say this, but you know, any player that says, "Oh, how much they love the fans and we play for the fans," you're a fucking liar. No, you don't. Nobody likes the fucking fans. Nobody does. Um, you know, never dread going to the ballpark, but certainly, uh, you know, during BP, shagging fly balls, all that, and. You know, you're hearing the fans chirping center field. And, can I have a ball? 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 Uh, yeah, it'll 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 make you want to pull your fucking hair out for a while. And yeah, and all the fucking stupid comments and the you know, I used to say for years that that you know everybody everybody's you know big fucking tough guy when you're ten rows back and there's ushers and security guards and clear I'm not gonna you know climb in the stands in my fucking uniform. Um, that at the end of every series that the 25 players of a visiting team. Should be able to pick out twenty fans from the stands, bring them on the field, and then let's just see what the fuck happens. Let's see if and, can uh, I, I think you'll get, get a whole, a whole, a whole lot fewer mouthy motherfuckers. Yeah, remove that net between us and see if you say what you're saying right now. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's got some got some balls when uh, when uh, when yeah, there's there's no when there's no uh, opportunity for fucking recourse. So um, yeah, there there, there were uh, there were plenty of times. That, yeah. The, the fans just just have fucking enough of it. And um, I remember when I but when we'll joke I did play with the fans. The bullpen in uh, Atlanta was surrounded, you know, was was, was set in uh, right there in the in the uh, uh, right field stands, and put a big uh, four foot by four foot poster board with uh, with a magic mark on it. Free baseballs tomorrow. Stuck it right there. <laughs> Stayed there for about two months. <laughs> free baseballs tomorrow. Hey, come on, come on, hey. Come here tomorrow. We got free baseballs. Yeah, tomorrow. <laughs> Every day, tomorrow. <laughs> I remember shagging when I was with the Red Sox. We're in Yankee Stadium, and I was shagging in right field. And just like you said, every ball that's hit to you, uh, they want it. And every time you throw it into the bucket, they mother F you. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, so I get a ball one day, and I'm like, you know, they don't like me anyway because I'm on the Red Sox, and they talk a lot of shit to you. And so I get a ball, and I walk out to right – by the warning track and I point up to the, the uh, there's like three sections of the bleachers out there and I point up to the right and this whole section stands up cheering. Then I point to the center. They do the same. I point to the left. They do the same. I do this like two or three times and then finally I raise the ball up and everybody stands up and I give them the arm over, you know, FU sign with my arm and I take the ball and throw it into the bucket. And they were so pissed off at me. They were cussing me. I was like, "Yeah, that's all that all the ragging you've given me for the year, yeah. over the yeah. years." I used to say shit to Mets fans. You know, of course, Mets fans. I, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll motherfuck Santa. <laughs> so, you know, in, in old Che, you had the wall, and you had about a three foot gap, and you had the bleachers out there. And so, same shit. You know, ball goes long, running by there, fucking get it, and like, "Hey, can you pull it?" And yelling all shit. Yeah, I was I was standing right next to the fucking wall. You have three feet between the wall and the stands, so their their arms are like three or four inches just too short. I said, toss the ball up right in front of the wall, toss it up, toss it up. They just try to grab it, try to grab it. <laughs> They're missing by like three or four inches. Yeah, four or five times a day, hopping not fired in the bucket. Yeah, and then then same thing, just get motherfucked. 
Yeah, <laughs> we get used to it. You get thick skin, and uh, yeah. I mean, a lot of those fans that you know, as far as I'm concerned, the fans that treat us like that, they deserve what we do back to them. Yeah, no shit, no shit. I used to, I used to love to fuck with them. Sure did. Well, uh, this has been a pleasure, Rock, and uh, we're gonna have to get together more than once a year. And Cody, uh, maybe I'll come to that. Uh, you know, one of Otis's events playing a golf tournament. By the way, I'm two for two in, in winning the golf tournaments. I'm bringing in a ringer next yeah, year. Yeah, you fucking ringer. <laughs> um, Otis's tournament's in, uh, in about three weeks. You uh, you come to that one on the 11th? I hadn't been invited. I didn't get the invite. Oh, really? Well, that's right. He didn't, he didn't make Cody this year. Um, <clears throat> we'll do it. We'll, we'll get together. We'll get together somewhere down the road. But I really appreciate you. Uh, I won't keep you much longer. I know you you got to go get your tires changed on your – Truck and appreciate you taking yeah, the time. Yeah, up over that, so. And so I got to I got to end this she, this uh, first episode of the new Shigon podcast with uh, my signature saying. I don't know if you know it, but uh, here it goes. Thanks, John Rocker. All right, thanks, John. Bye, everybody.